This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. The 2020 election is rounding the corner. Sorry, I could not resist. But here we are just a few days out from November 3rd, which means that it's almost Halloween. And what better way to recognize the spooky nature of All's Hallow's Eve than to discuss the scary worst case scenarios for the election. Disputed counts, lawsuits, candidates refusing to concede, states sending multiple sets of electors to be counted, runoffs, violence. With us to discuss the terrifying tumult is CQ Roll Call politics editor Herb Jackson and CQ Roll Call legal affairs senior writer Todd Ruger. Herb, Todd, welcome to this special edition of Political Theater, our Halloween edition. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> so spooky to be here. It's so spooky. Let's talk about, we have sort of a, a list of, of things to worry about for people in the political universe. Let's start with something fairly topical. There was a shooting in Philadelphia uh, this week. Police shot a black man. It led to protests, unrest, and it's become a talking point for the president. At his rallies, he likes to talk about law and order every once in a while when he's talking about rounding the corner on the coronavirus. And this brought up the question of what if people are not allowed to to vote or people can't find their way to their voting precincts or centers or things like that. Herb, you're the closest person to have grown up around Philadelphia. So I guess we'll start with you. Let's talk about this because this wasn't, we were already getting reports of people showing up at precincts and voting centers, you know, with guns, with, you know, Trump flags, with, you know, protests on on both ends and so forth, which was like, okay, this is kind of concerning. And then this thing sort of erupted in Philadelphia. What are... What's the biggest concern as we head toward election day on November 3rd? The things that have to happen is they have to take the vote. They have to count the votes. The people who are elected get sworn in, right? That's the way it's normally supposed to work. But if there's a disruption in taking the vote, we've already seen many elections where the poll, the election machine break down, breaks down and the judge extends polling hours for several hours. We've, we've seen, because of the coronavirus, lots of changes to how people vote, whether people can vote by absentee without needing an excuse, whether they can drop off their ballots, whether someone can pick up their ballots and take it for them. Now you have the question of what happens if election day comes and people want to go vote in person, which is, interestingly, the people that the president has been urging to do so, if they can't get to the polls for some reason, there's a disruption in their city or in their county that keeps them from voting. Do we then have litigation over that, lost ballots, people losing the opportunity to vote? So we've certainly seen, and I'm sure Todd's going to talk about it later, that, you know, both sides are putting a lot of lawyers on retainer for this election. One more ground is, you know, like, what if people can't vote in major cities? Or is that even a strategy? We have states like Georgia, we have states like South Carolina, where, according to the NAACP's legal team, you know, they're worried that militias may show up in the racially diverse parts of those states and try and intimidate people to keep them from voting. So that's one of the nightmare scenarios that, you know, journalists have to be prepared for how they cover. And then what happens if that happens to the election result? And Todd, you uh, you have a story that's up on uh, on both Roll Call and CQ now about the odds that the Supreme Court would 
be asked to decide the election along the lines of Bush v. Gore in 2000 when the Supreme Court voted 5-4 to halt the recount in Florida and effectively made George W. Bush the president-elect. Let's let's talk a little bit about your story and how, even though you know there's been a lot of sort of storm and drong and spooky noises being made about the president saying he wanted Amy Coney Barrett to be sworn in, which she was on Monday, so she could decide an election. What are the odds that the Supreme Court would be asked to decide? You know, situations like this where they aren't people say they can't they weren't able to vote and things like that. Right. Well, I mean, I think that there's two different things to think about here. What Herb was talking about, those lawsuits are going to happen. They happen every election. You know, the power goes out at a polling place and one party goes to a judge and says they need to keep this polling place open. So lawsuits happen. They will definitely be happening in this very hotly contested election. As Herb mentioned, lawyers will be all over the country looking for these things, filing lawsuits. The reason you'd ever hear about, you know, power outage A in Georgia or long lines B in Pennsylvania is because it doesn't really matter for the outcome of the election. Every vote matters, don't get me wrong, but if something is only 57 votes apart, let's say, and there's 100 people that haven't voted yet, then it becomes a big issue. Then it, it, if it's determinative of the outcome. So then you have to look at how, how likely is it that something that gets disputed in a state gets all the way up to the Supreme Court and is determinative of the outcome. What you would need first is a very, very close election. Right now, the polling isn't looking that way. You would need the electoral votes to come down very, very close to where there's only one state or maybe two states that might determine the outcome of the election. So I think the one that the, the biggest nightmare scenario right now that people are talking about is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania went through some state court fights and the state Supreme Court said, we're gonna allow ballots to be counted as long as they arrive after election day within three days. And the Republicans in the, in the state didn't like that. They don't want that to happen. So they went to the Supreme Court and asked the Supreme Court to step in and stop that. The Supreme Court, 4-4, it was shorthanded at this point, deadlocked. And that meant that the state Supreme Court ruling stands and Pennsylvania will now be counting ballots that arrive in the mail after election night. So, so you have a scenario where the results could look one way on election night and the mail-in ballots could change that way that that looked. As they roll in, once you get that situation, the Pennsylvania Republicans have asked the Supreme Court to step in yet again and say that those ballots shouldn't be counted. So now you have a big stack of ballots, a legal fight over whether they should or shouldn't be counted that would determine who gets Pennsylvania's electoral votes. And then if Pennsylvania's electoral counts determine who wins the White House, now you have the nightmare scenario, just like you did in Florida in 2000. I mean, one thing of, of note, too, that I mean, there are other lawsuits, you know, pending on how different states should allow either, like you said, how long they are able to count mail-in ballots, whether they get postmarked or whether they arrive within a certain number of days and so forth. In this week, 
the, the Supreme Court, you know, weighed in on this Wisconsin case. And Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote the opinion, cited Bush versus Gore, which no one had actually cited that as precedent before at the Supreme Court. Uh, I believe that it has been mentioned once in an opinion by Clarence Thomas in the 20 years since. Kavanaugh worked on George W. Bush's legal team, and it sort of raised this sort of like, you know, a, a little bit of concern that this thing that has that we thought maybe we had gotten past Bush v. Gore is kind of going to rear its ugly head again. Yeah. And, and Bush v. Gore, the decision was basically, this is a one-time pass. This decision is good for this election only. It really isn't precedent for if this should happen again. And when you think about that dispute and the hanging chads on the ballots and, and how close it was, and that just does not happen. It's very unusual for that to happen. So there's a lot of I guess, concern about Kavanaugh's approach to voting rights and, and this specifically and what it means for the future, that is another nightmare scenario that Democrats are contemplating right now. But for this, this current presidential election, for Kavanaugh's thing to even matter, for him to be you know, laying out a way for Trump to take a legal challenge to the Supreme Court and, and win the White House again, for all that to happen, there has to be that exceedingly narrow path where there's a case that's going to determine the outcome. And most people are looking at the polls right now and saying it's probably not going to be that close. So even if Pennsylvania comes back and and Brett Kavanaugh decides that all those votes should not be counted and that helps the Republicans somehow, if Pennsylvania doesn't matter in the outcome of the presidential election, then it's it's not going to be that nightmare scenario like we had in 2000. I think that's a good segue to the next worst case scenario to contemplate, and that concerns electors. We mentioned, you know, just now, you know, the, this fight over mail-in votes. What if it takes so long to count them in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all of which have Republican-controlled legislatures, that they would simply get tired of it and go ahead and just certify the Trump electors as winners? This situation is not far-fetched, Correct. No. Well, we do have it in the United States history that states have sent multiple slates of electors. What happens is the Electoral College meets in December, and then they send these certificates to the archivist of the United States and to the Senate president, who is also the sitting vice president. In the 1870s, we had two elections where multiple states sent competing slates, and then they passed this thing called the Electoral Count Act, which was supposed to fix the problem. But it has these words in it like, as long as the votes were regularly cast or something like that, I may have the phrase wrong, but it allows the legislatures, if the election is deemed to have failed to choose a, win- a winner, to certify a winner. And does that mean if they didn't finish counting by the deadline for the electoral college to meet? I don't know. And then it allows for this question of whether the votes were regularly cast. Well, all sorts of things are happening in this election because of the pandemic that are not regular. Then the question becomes who arbitrates, and it becomes Congress with the vice president presiding over a joint session. And what has to happen is that if there's an objection, it has to be from one senator and one House member. The vice president then tells both chambers to go back and debate the objection. And this happens for every state. They go through the states alphabetically. And, you know, we could end up, you know, there's, there's even a question of like, what if they're still debating when Inauguration Day comes around? You know, and let's not let's not say this is crazy enough, because no matter what, the current term that President Trump is serving expires at noon on January 20th. Then all sorts of other things come into play. But, you know, the whole fact that 
Even before that, Congress gets to decide who sits in its chambers. If there's a dispute over the vote in Georgia, do we even have a senator from Georgia? Certainly, if the race between David Perdue and John Ossoff doesn't, nobody gets 50%, there won't be a senator from Georgia on January 3rd when Congress beats because right. they have to be settled in a runoff on January 5th, right? And Kelly Loeffler will continue to serve because she's serving the unexpired part of Johnny, Johnny Isaacson's term. She's also been a special race and nobody expects somebody to get over 50%. But you know, you have these weird things. If the House has to vote, each state gets a vote. Well, what if Pelosi doesn't want to sit the Congress member from Montana or Alaska? Well, now there's nobody voting from those states. There are crazy things that could happen here in the first week of January that are probably going to ruin our holidays. <laughs> and I, I, I will say that like that, that is a good, it's good to note too, that this isn't just about the presidency and what could go wrong in counting electors, or if you have to deal with competing electors and, you know, who decides which electors to, to accept and so forth. And again, all presided over by the current vice president, who is Mike Pence, who's also on the ballot. I should note before we move on to the next terrifying scenario that, you know, this Vice presidents who were on the ticket had to rule in contests of which they were a part. Your column talked about this sort of more academic kind of question in 1960. Why don't you go through that with the Kennedy, Nixon, and Hawaii's electors and how Nixon ruled? Right. So Hawaii was a new state in 1960. It held its first vote. I think the turnout was over 90%. And the result, just like the national result between Nixon and Kennedy, was a couple hundred votes in favor of Nixon. The governor of Hawaii certified Nixon as the winner. Kennedy ticket asked for a recount, and it went into court for the recount, and they started counting each voting district, which meant it was continuously going, and it was still going when the electors meet met in early December. So both Democratic and Republican electors met, and they each sent their certificates to Washington saying, we vote for Nixon, we vote for Kennedy, right? So eventually the judge closed the recount, and Kennedy was declared the narrow winner. The governor sent another certificate saying, all right, Kennedy won. And what happened was they, they get to Hawaii in the roll call, and the Democrats, including then-Congressman Daniel Inouye, were planning to make an objection. And Nixon, the sitting vice president, actually asked for a unanimous consent agreement in the Senate to accept the Kennedy electors. And no one objected, so they did. Nixon actually made the motion against his own interests, not that it mattered because he was still down by about 80 plus electors, even with Hawaii. Right. But it was a, a class move. It was something that, you know, they just didn't feel like fighting over it. They could have fought over it. Maybe they would have established precedent we could look at today. I have a funny, funny feeling that we may find ourselves in that situation again in the early January this year. Next year. In in Bush v. Gore, you know, Vice President Gore at the time presided over the counting of the electors. And he had, at that point, the Supreme Court had ruled in Bush v. Gore. They ruled against him. They basically made Bush the president-elect. And uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus, they you outlined this in, in your column, uh, in, in roll call, members of the Congressional Black Caucus objected and lodged a complaint that, you know, that 
Gore should, you know, halt this. And and because there was no senator who joined them, Gore ruled against the objection because, you know, saying like, you, you need a senator to join you. And I mean, it was just, if you watch the tape of it, uh, it, it's almost kind of painful, you know, because here Gore lost, he won the popular vote. He, he lost narrowly in, in Florida in the electoral college. And he, and he has to like rule basically against people in his own party. And again, was, may not have been in his interest, but he thought it was in the best interest of the, of the country. Todd, I wonder about you know some of the things that you're you're sort of prepping for uh, with these electoral challenges. Are there things that you mentioned that like a lot of these lawsuits happen all the time anyway? Is is it basically Pennsylvania that you're going to be like kind of queuing in on 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 election night? Well, I think one thing that Herb mentioned earlier is what journalists need to be prepared for, and there's so much stuff that could go wrong out there. Not just journalists, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> So, so it's kind of like, you know, you think about the foreign interference that mm-hmm. it, in the election, you have the Trump administration announcing not too long ago that Russia and Iran had gotten some voter information that Iran had acted on that and sent information out. You know, do they have anything planned for election day? Do they any groups here on American soil have anything planned for election day? And all of that would just inject a bunch of chaos into the day. I think that you're also going to see just a lot of questions on election night about who won, who's ahead, who's behind, when are they going to start counting. Some states are able to count their mail-in ballots early. Some states are not. I think that you are going to watch where you see the campaigns lodging complaints about how the voting process is going. Those, those can then be evidence that then gets put into a lawsuit that then starts going through the process. I think, you know, what am I looking for? It's just, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, and that is some of the biggest nightmares of 2020 we have just not seen, seen coming. And so that's the potential for election day. Herb, uh, you mentioned Georgia's two runoffs. You know, this is fairly rare, you know, because Georgia has has a, you know, rule that they, an election rule that if you have to get 50% plus one to win the election. So it's not rare to see runoffs, but it could be rare. It is rare that if it determines control of the chamber. <laughs> and it's rare to have two at the same time in Georgia, as is the case here. So, you know, if if the Purdue-Ossoff run, which, which would be, if that isn't decided, we would not have a senator on January 3rd and then on January 6th or the, the county electoral votes. Although, as you mentioned, Kelly Loeffler, who is serving out a term, if she's in a runoff, she'd still be a senator. The math could get interesting if if the um, if Congress is asked to decide this. But there's also another special election going on in Arizona, my home state. Mark Kelly, a Democrat uh, and the husband of former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, is challenging the incumbent appointed senator, Martha McSally, who's a Republican. Kelly is in, uh, you know, has been pretty consistently leading in polling in Arizona. If Kelly were to win, he would be, as soon as his election is certified, he would take the seat because it's a special election. He doesn't have to wait until January 3rd when Congress convenes. But as you mentioned, there could be some mischief there too. Yeah. I mean, well, he he is entitled to be there, but we need that certification to happen. And if somebody wants to if there's a vote where they'd rather have Martha McSally sitting there casting her vote than, than Kelly, they could try and play games there. And then it's another one of those things. I'll see you in court. How long does it take a judge to rule? And part of this whole thing 
that that is fascinating is senators decide who gets to be senators. You know, we've had a House elections where the House did its own recount and challenged the had to ar- deal with the argument over. I'm thinking of like Dornan and Sanchez in California in '96, where you know they went through a whole lot of claims of voter fraud. Do we end up with that being part of the first part of this Congress, where members charging the, the person who's declared the winner with some sort of fraud allegation? Yeah, you know, and let's take North Carolina. North Carolina did not have a House member in the ninth district for most of 2019 because a consultant who was working for the Republican was harvesting absentee ballots and maybe changing them, maybe not turning them in. We don't know what he actually did, but we do know that he was doing something. And the State Board of Elections threw out the results of the North Carolina 9th District election. So it is not beyond the realm of possibility that if stuff happens, that elections will not be called even in the weeks after November 3rd. They may be, they have to be rerun. We do have a history in the United States of elections being rerun because of irregularities. And where that happens could really affect the balance of power in both chambers. And yeah, and, and it has happened in somewhat recently in the Senate too, in 2008, when Al Franken and Norm Coleman were vying for the uh, Minnesota Senate seat. It took, you know, I think eight, eight or nine months for Franken to go through all the legal challenges before taking his seat. So it's not like any of this stuff is unprecedented, to say the least. And the Republic survived until the Martians landed. Why can't we all just get along? <laughs> I mean, we could get into When Mars Attacks, one of my favorite movies from, from the 90s, by the way. Thank you, Tim Burton. Are you interested in the White House? It almost seems like a tame documentary now <laughs> these days. But let, let me just, you know, before we kind of sign off and people all run for some Xanax or a shot of bourbon after listening to this podcast, uh, let me just run through, our, you know, sort of the quick nightmare scenarios that we have discussed in this podcast. One is that post-election arguments consume the nation. This could be because of unrest. It could be a, a lawsuits, but that we might not get results from, from some key states. Another is that fights could take weeks to count. And if they take too long, then legislation legislatures can select their own electors as winners for either Donald Trump or or Joe Biden. There could be floor fights on January 3rd when Congress is supposed to convene. Members of the House and Senate may not, their elections may not be over or they may not be rightfully seated because disputed elections in their states. On January 6th, there is the counting of the electors for the presidential race. And Mike Pence, who is on the ballot, he would be presiding over the chamber and the counting of it. And there could be delays in certifying winners in special elections like Mark Kelly and delays caused by special elections that haven't taken place yet before January 6th, like in Georgia. If that's not all enough to worry about, don't worry. We'll be back next week <laughs> in political theater to go over what we didn't think of. But Herb, uh, Todd, I really appreciate, you know, kind of going through this. We are, we are not trying to make light of the situation, but it is always good to be prepared for what comes or what might come. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including now on NPR One. And you can find our other CQ Roll Call podcasts on our parent feed at CQ Roll Call Policy and Politics. 